0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, April 2nd.
1: I am going to start.
2: Hello, hello. Okay, one sec. Okay, let's just start by having you um, tell me who you are and what you do for the Post.
1: Sure. Oh, it's really funny to (laughs) be on this end of 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 that
0: question. Ariel Plotnick is an audio producer for The Post, and she spoke to Lena Mohammed about these efforts to better understand vaccine hesitancy. Researchers want to know who are the people who are hesitant and where does that skepticism come from? And how can public health officials change people's minds and get them comfortable with getting a vaccine? And that's where this group, the Ad Council, comes in. They've released this PSA that takes a strategy that is somewhat surprising.
2: I
1: want to start actually by playing you some tape.
0: The COVID-19 vaccines become available. You might be asking yourself, should I get it? And if I do, will I be able to go about life without putting my family at risk? You've got questions and that's normal. The fact is the vaccines are safe and effective. They're going to save lives. To get the latest on the COVID-19 vaccines, visit GetVaccineAnswers.org. Because getting back to the moments we miss starts with getting informed. It's up to you.
2: I thought it was interesting that they've acknowledged that like, oh, you've got questions and that's okay. I feel like we don't normally hear that. I thought that was
1: interesting too. When I first heard this ad, I interpreted it as it's up to you to do your part. You need to get this vaccine to save humanity. And our health reporter, Dan Diamond, thought the same thing too.
3: Now, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that makes sense. It's up to you. It's up to you, Ariel. It's up to me, Dan. Like, we have to do our part to get vaccinated. But when I asked the Ad Council about that, they said, no, no, it's not about individual responsibility as much as acknowledging hesitancy. It's up to you, Ariel, if you want to go get a shot.
2: So who who came up with this ad and why do they think it's going to work?
1: So this nonprofit called the Ad Council came up with this ad The Ad Council is the group behind a lot of really famous public health campaigns, like Friends Don't Let Friends Drive Drunk and the Smokey the Bear Only You Can Prevent Forest Fires campaign. And I talked to Michelle
4: Hillman. I am the chief campaign development officer at the Ad Council.
1: And I asked Michelle, why was this the messaging that they settled on?
4: People that are hesitant are just looking for more information while they're, you know, waiting for their turn to get the shot. And so, you know, this idea of it's up to you really worked for us on a lot of levers as we were, you know, talking to people through our research. You know, if we let people know that it's normal that they have questions, that it's absolutely okay and to be expected. And then we remind them of the moments that they miss and they love and that they really want to get back to, that those together really will drive them to get more information and feel like they're empowered.
2: And who are the intended audiences for this ad?
1: So this ad from the Ad Council was meant for generally vaccine-hesitant people, which is actually a lot of Americans. More than a third of people either say they definitely won't get the vaccine or are still waiting to see if they should. That's according to recent polling. And one group of people that are especially vaccine-hesitant is Republicans, specifically Trump
3: supporters. (music) Over the past few months, public health experts have grown increasingly alarmed.
2: As Many polls show, including our recent PBS NewsHour, NPR, Marist poll, one segment of the population remains steadfast in their opposition to getting a vaccine, Republicans.
3: As more vaccines become available, the White House is increasingly worried by resistance among Republicans.
1: In early March, about half of Trump supporters, people who voted for Trump in the last election, said they wouldn't get the vaccine. That really alarmed a lot of public health officials because this is a huge group of people who could get in the way of our country reaching herd immunity. And because of that, there are people trying to develop ways to reach these Trump supporters and move them from vaccine hesitant to getting the vaccine. Our reporter, Dan, has been following this story and he was there to shadow one of these attempts, which was a focus group.
3: When you hear the word COVID-19, what word or phrase comes to mind?
1: The focus group was run by Frank Luntz. Frank is a pretty famous Republican pollster. You might have seen him on TV. He recently left the Republican Party, but he spent many years performing focus groups trying to understand the Republican voter. He got 19 Trump voters together from 14 different states.
3: They were overwhelmingly white, a variety of ages, though I'd say mostly in their 30s, 40s, 50s, there were a few people who were already eligible for coronavirus vaccines, but had decided not to get them. And then there were people, appeared to be in their 20s, who wouldn't be getting vaccines for a while, but had already decided that they weren't interested. I don't know if this is as explicit, but Frank was also trying to move them in this focus group from being against the vaccine to for it.
2: Mm. So, so walk me through basically like how it went down. Like, did they? Was it like a discussion? Did they play like random ads for them and see how they felt about them? What was the format?
1: So this was all done over Zoom. It was mostly this Q and A format. Frank would ask a question and then go around the Zoom room, calling out people's names one by one for their response.
3: Ryan, word or phrase when you hear COVID nineteen? Controversy. Debbie.
4: Um, I would say controversy as well. Lisa. A serious
2: illness.
1: And then they also brought in experts and Republican leaders to talk to the focus group and try to convince them to get the vaccine.
2: So throughout this focus group, what were the reasons that people said they were hesitant?
1: So Dan broke it down into a couple groups.
3: One was just the fear that the vaccine had been rushed, that We don't know the long-term effects of getting vaccinated for something that just appeared a few months ago. When I say COVID-19 vaccine,
2: Adam, what do you think of first?
0: Um, A miracle, albeit suspicious. Lauren? Unsure. Too many questions. Marie? Gary, not knowing the long-term side effects. Chad?
4: Long-term side effects unknown.
3: Matthew? Matthew? Experimental and unknown how it will affect long-term. And again, this is a vaccine that broke all land speed records for being invented. The previous record for speeding a vaccine through approvals and, and development was four years. So to go from four years to less than a year, I can understand some of those questions.
1: They tried to address these concerns by bringing in top scientists like former CDC director Tom Frieden.
3: Dr. Frieden, I'm going to go to you now.
1: He gave a little speech of five facts about the vaccine that seemed to stick with people.
3: One, if you get infected with the virus, it will go all over your body and stay there for at least a week and be much more likely to cause you long-term problems than the vaccine. One message that the participants really attached to that the overwhelming share of doctors when given the chance to get the vaccine did. The number that Dr. Frieden attached to was 95% of doctors. That seemed to really impress the participants. And one more message that really landed. Dr. Frieden was honest. He said, look, I can't tell you for sure about the long-term risks of getting a coronavirus vaccine. But what I can tell you, based on all available science, the long-term risk of getting a coronavirus vaccine is much less than the long-term risk of being infected by coronavirus and then developing complications down the line.
1: The participants seemed to respond to that. They liked getting this information about the vaccine. But there was another set of concerns that's maybe not super surprising.
3: A second bucket of concern was around the politics, the politics that have pervaded a lot of the coronavirus response. Many people in the focus group had either gotten sick from coronavirus, they knew people who got sick, and some of them knew people who got incredibly sick. One of the participants said that her husband had been critically ill for three weeks. He'd been in the ICU, and yet she still didn't want a vaccine. But overwhelmingly, people who had experienced COVID themselves or knew people who had believed that Democrats had made the threat of the virus bigger than these participants thought it was. And that the Biden campaign and now President Biden had used the threat of the virus to really hammer President Trump to win electoral victories.
4: I think what you said very kind of cavalierly about, so what that the pharmaceuticals let the results out five days after the election. And to me, that's a big so what. It just, it makes you doubt a little bit of the motives and the politicization of science. So, yeah. if you really want us to trust the science, I think politics has to be taken out of it.
3: And what you just saw was what happens when politics gets put in the middle of this. It's just got to come out somehow. I, I think that that is going to be key to all of this. That is. And ask just, yourself:
4: mm-hmm. ask yourself who put the politics there? Which but side the had a benefit to having politics introduced to this? And well, now they just keep it that, going. It's it's not going to be taken out. It's not. Right. Nope. The fear-mongering started at the beginning, and it's never ended.
3: And that's one reason why they were skeptical of the whole endeavor, that warnings on what the virus was and now the need to get the vaccine from an administration that many of them thought had used coronavirus as a political tool.
1: What was really interesting was that even though these were all Republicans in the focus group, they weren't necessarily receptive to hearing from Republicans any more than Democrats. In this focus group, they brought in Republicans like Kevin McCarthy and Bill Cassidy onto the call.
2: Wait, so these like big name Republicans would join this Zoom meeting?
1: Yeah, they would join the Zoom meeting for a couple minutes, observe, and then give their pitch for getting the vaccine. This is McCarthy talking about the vaccines being released after Biden won the election, implying that the timing of it all hurt Trump's chances at getting reelected.
3: And I watched these pharmaceutical companies, they only brought it forward like a week after the election when they knew the answer ahead of time.
1: And actually people in the focus group were really turned off by this further politicizing of the vaccine, even if it was coming from their side.
3: Is Kevin convincing to you? He is, but you know, I mean, there's, just like he mentioned the vaccine, them announcing the vaccine five days after the election,
4: It was political stunts like that that leave doubt
3: in our minds. It's like it didn't seem to be building vaccine trust. It was only building outrage.
2: Hmm. So what happened at the end of the focus group? Did anyone change their mind?
1: Yeah. So at the beginning of the focus group, all of the participants were vaccine hesitant.
3: Some were saying they had no plans to get it. Some were saying maybe they would get it in the future, but not right now. They they wanted others to go. I remember one older gentleman who's eligible for the vaccine said he was using a friend as kind of a test subject, a guinea pig. By the end, that older gentleman said he was planning on getting the vaccine. He had to talk about it with his wife, but it was a remarkable turnaround. Others in the group weren't quite there, and one man's telling he was 80%, 90% against the vaccine, then he got to about 50-50. So not everyone said they would go get the shot, but there seemed to be across the group movement by virtually everybody toward more openness around getting the vaccine.
2: So aside from white Republican Trump voters, were there any takeaways from this focus group or any other research about what does work to change vaccine-hesitant people's minds about taking the vaccine? Yeah, it's a good question. So first, I just want to say, like Dan
1: said, Frank was purposely trying to nudge them towards getting the vaccine. This was a targeted two hours of scientists and Republican Party leaders trying to convince the participants to change their minds. So this is not necessarily replicable for all Trump voters. It's also hard to say exactly what worked here, but I wanted to understand more generally like what makes people change their minds? How do we get people who are vaccine hesitant in this country to feel more comfortable with it? So I talked to this
4: professor, Katie Milkman. I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and author of the book, How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And I also co-direct the Behavior Change for Good initiative at the University of Pennsylvania.
1: Katie studies what it takes for people to make positive behavior change. And she brought up a couple of things that she says can be really useful tools for nudging people to change their behavior and in this case, nudging people to get the vaccine. And the first one is this thing called social proof.
4: Social proof is the idea that when we see other people taking an action, we assume that must be the thing to do. So there's two key components. One is there's an information component. You see other people doing it. You figure they must know something you don't know. And so you're more interested in doing it. And the second component is just peer pressure that you don't want to feel left out or like the oddball. And so you are inclined to follow along for that reason. So those two things together create social pressure when you experience social proof and seeing lots of other people, the majority of other people taking some action.
1: This is something Dan noticed happening in the focus group, too.
3: That was something I was wondering about, where you have one person, then two people, then five people, almost like a social contagion of watching each other and being inspired or or motivated by what others were doing.
1: So that's one way to nudge behavior. Another way is balancing this language of mandates and rewards. So mandates, according to Katie, don't really work because people don't like being told what to do.
4: One of our strongest impulses is to want to be able to make our own choices and you don't want to feel manipulated. I think it's important to feel that you have agency when you're thinking about something that's going to go into your body and, and to you know know that there's been a transparent, thorough process that so you can read about it and understand exactly how everything was tested and why it's being recommended.
2: There are a lot of people in my family, they're not anti-vaxxers by any means, but they're just hesitant. They're still deciding, like, do I want to take this vaccine? Should I take this vaccine? And so, you know, a lot of times I wonder, like, what is the best way to be talking to these people?
1: A lot of the takeaways from this focus group and from Katie's research is applicable beyond just this one focus group. And these are strategies you could really use with anyone who might be vaccine-hesitant. One of those ideas is not telling people what to do.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I've I've tried that. It It did not work.
1: But one idea that does work better is rewards. And one of the rewards that this focus group considered was the idea of a vaccine passport.
3: If you have the credential, maybe you can get on a cruise. Maybe you can do a big trip. Maybe you can go visit your mother in a nursing home. How many of you would get the vaccine? if you knew that you could not get on a plane.
2: I love to travel. I've been sitting, you know, we haven't traveled. Um, I'm used to going away three, four times a year. So if I, if this is the only way I could go away, I'm gonna have to take the chance.
3: Jen, you would get the vaccine. Jen from Iowa, you get the vaccine if it meant that you could travel by
0: flight.
4: I think eventually I would cave and I would get the vaccine. Even though like my husband and I both survived COVID last month, he almost died. But I still think that at some point, I might
1: be forced to do it. And it would, I would rather it be my choice than it be forced upon me by other entities.
3: Now, what was interesting, some of the people who said they were open to the idea of a vaccine passport or credential because they wanted to get back to doing those things, they had said just minutes before, they didn't really like the idea of being mandated. It's almost holding those two ideas in your head at the same time, that if a vaccine mandate comes down, that just makes them distrust the process more, but that reward might be worth it to go through it anyway. And I know that's the hope of some public health experts, that as the economy begins to reopen, as businesses say, you can come back if you show that you have got vaccinated, that that might be the nudge to get some of the hesitant folks over the hump.
1: Now, outside of this focus group, even the idea of vaccine passports has taken on a partisan, politicized slant in recent weeks. House Republicans in Ohio, for instance, are thinking about banning their state from using vaccine passports. But Katie says even those recent CDC regulations that say people could get back to normal parts of their life if they get a vaccine, this type of reward gives people something tangible to look forward to if they change their behavior.
4: Initially, the guidance wasn't there that you could, for instance, gather in small groups with other vaccinated individuals without a mask on. I think it was a big step forward to be able to see some guidance saying there are benefits. You can actually behave differently.
1: So the last thing I asked Katie about was something that was super present throughout the whole focus group, the politicization of all of this.
3: That was something that came out very quickly. Also, that some of the trusted messengers, someone like Tony Fauci, who many Americans look to for credible advice on coronavirus, these participants did not trust him. They called him a flip-flopper. Debbie from Georgia.
0: Flip-flopper.
3: Lauren from New Jersey. Liar. Jen from Iowa. Puppet. Peter from Missouri. Inconsistent. Marie from New York
0: flip flopper
3: they said that he had given president trump bad advice even as they heralded the trump administration's response these are arguments that have pervaded conservative media for the past year they are arguments that donald trump himself has occasionally amplified so it wasn't surprising to me to hear these participants make these points but it showed how resistant they were to the idea of getting a vaccine and hearing about the need to get a vaccine from someone like tony fauci
2: So how did they address these issues in the focus group? Is there any way to move beyond this politicization? So there are a lot of answers to this. But Katie says,
1: yeah, this politicization, it's really unfortunate. And a huge part of this is actually about identity. So what's really important here is seeing people who are like you, who share your beliefs, not just getting the vaccine, but encouraging you to get the vaccine. So a good example of this is the Ad Council actually put out another ad in the It's Up to You campaign. This ad had a bunch of political stars.
3: It was former presidents Barack Obama and George Bush and Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are
4: available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone.
3: This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. And I remember posting that ad as soon as it went up. I put it on Twitter. It was seen, I think, over a million times, my my tweet. The overwhelming reaction was, this is inspiring. This is unity. This is going to motivate Americans in a way that, that is meaningful. And the Trump voters panned the ad and even said that, It made them angry at times. It it may have backfired. Which
1: made me think, like, yeah, the trusted messenger for a Trump supporter is not going to be President Obama or even President Bush. It's going to be Trump or a fellow Trump supporter. Anthony Fauci actually talked about this on Morning Joe a few weeks ago when he said it'd be hugely influential to Trump supporters if Trump encouraged them to get the vaccine.
3: Chris, I think it would make all the difference in the world. He's a very widely popular person among Republicans. If he came out and said, go and get vaccinated, it's really important for your health, the health of your family, and the health of the country, uh, it it seems absolutely inevitable that uh, the vast majority of people who are his close followers would listen.
1: And just a couple days later, Trump actually went on Fox and encouraged his supporters to get the vaccine too.
2: So, so, Mr. President, I know that you received the vaccine. Mrs. Trump also got the vaccine. Would you recommend to our audience that they get the vaccine then?
3: I would. I would recommend it. And I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it. And a lot of those people voted for me, frankly.
1: Right now, the limiting factor for most people on getting the vaccine is supply. But the vaccine is becoming more and more available around the country. And soon, the challenge of ending the pandemic won't be about making enough vaccine doses. It'll be convincing people who are hesitant to go get the shot. So this is a moment where these nudges like social pressure and identifying with a trusted messenger and giving people incentives are going to be really important for getting us to herd immunity when a large part of our population can no longer get the disease. Scientists say that's the thing that we need to really get back to normal life. The latest polls do show that vaccine hesitancy amongst Americans is generally dropping. So the numbers are moving in the right direction but we'll just have to wait and see.
2: Ariel, thank you so much.
1: Of course, thanks for having me, Lena.
0: Ariel Plotnick and Lena Mohammed are producers for Post Reports. Ariel produced the story and it was edited by Maggie Penman with fact-checking help from Jordan Murray Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Rennie Svernovsky. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Dio and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnick and Rennie Svernovsky are associate producers. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from the Washington Post.